Kia ora. Welcome to the first episode of our Matariki podcast. Ko Nikki Parch toku ingoa. My name is Nikki Parch and I will be introducing you to five of my colleagues at Heritage New Zealand Pohere Tauranga. My role is Kaitohu Tohu Whanake or Māori Heritage Advisor and although I have limited experience regarding Matariki, like many people I've spoken to recently, I'm keen to learn more. 2022 is the first year that we will be celebrating Matariki as a nation. Although this mātauranga or knowledge has been retained and recognised amongst Māori here in New Zealand for centuries. Matariki is the midwinter rising of a cluster of nine stars, or seven for some. Traditionally, Matariki has been a marker of time, the beginning of a new harvest cycle. By reclaiming and sharing this knowledge, we connect ourselves with the ancient timekeeping systems tuned to the work of planting and harvesting. Matariki is also significant as a time for reflection and rest as we prepare ourselves for the next cycle of seasons. Up first is Theron Bloomfield, who is Pauarahi Northern. Theron is based in Auckland. He will be talking about his experience of growing taputini, a type of kumara. Kia ora, Theron. Most of us understand that kumara or sweet potatoes are those red, gold or big orange beauties that we see at the supermarkets. Most of us have never heard of taputini. I'm excited that you're going to share with us your experience of growing them and the connection to matariki and what it means for you. Aye. Yeah, well, we can tell that Matariki is coming just with the uh, change of season, change of weather outside. And I guess like a lot of New Zealanders with Matariki becoming a holiday this year, I've sort of been thinking about what Matariki means to me and confess that I didn't really have a great knowledge of Matariki. I mean, probably the basics that I knew were that it was around harvesting of vegetables. So it's a time when we lift the crops, when Matariki appears traditionally. So Something I did last year, which sort of really brought this home to me and brought home, I think, the meaning of Matariki, was harvesting some taputini, some taputini kumara that I planted with my dad in October. And in the middle of last year, we harvested them. Planted them October and then you harvested them just at uh, Matariki when it first appears in the sky? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, it usually coincides with the coldest time of year and the time when we do harvest crops. And so taputini, they're not a species that are in the supermarkets or that we eat in restaurants or cafes. But the learning I took from this was that these were a traditional kumara, a traditional sweet potato that would have been what our ancestors were growing and eating before colonisation. So a lot of us may think that the kumara that we see in the supermarket and sort of make into dinner, make into sweet potato wedges are the same as what our ancestors were eating before colonisation. But in fact, those are actually introduced crops, those kumara, well, those sweet potatoes that I guess we incorrectly refer to as kumara. And in fact, I've seen in archives where Māori referred to that species of sweet potato as Americana. So there was a knowledge and acknowledgement that they weren't traditional, but when they were introduced... I guess they were easier to plant. They certainly had a greater yield. And maybe also the fact that that was the novelty of the new. So species such as these introduced sweet potatoes, they became the norm. And slowly and steadily, the traditional kumara, such as taputini, they were growing much less, almost, I guess, to the point of redundancy. So it was pretty cool last year to actually harvest these taputini and have a meal of them, give a few away. This is always the Māori way, give a few away, cook some, share them with family. 
but also with the knowledge that this is a form of self-determination in terms of gardening. So it's bringing back a, a native species, an indigenous species that our ancestors were eating. What do they look like? Yeah, I'd sort of describe them as looking finger-like, actually. They're quite skinny and cream-coloured, certainly not as fat and plump as the kumara that we see in the supermarket. I guess they look like a root, a tuba. And we had a surprisingly good yield of them, but I guess because they are quite little, you probably need a lot of them to make a meal. The flavour was, I sort of found them quite smoky, actually slightly sweet and less starchy than the the gold sweet potatoes that I'm used to eating. When you grew these, uh, what part of New Zealand were they grown in? Well, I was gifted these kumara by an archaeologist and a former colleague. It was a, a very nice going away gift, actually, when I left a job and took them down to my dad's in Ōtaki. And, you know, we went to the warehouse and got one of those special plastic potato growers that they have and just planted a couple. Dad used to every weekend when we talk on the phone he'd give me a catch up on how they were going and send me the old photograph. So I can't take any responsibility for actually growing them or looking after them. By accounts they were quite easy to grow. We've planted them again you know in the coming months they'll be ready and Hopefully this year I'll be able to get down and have a feast in person with my parents of them which couldn't do last year for various reasons. Do you think that your family will continue to grow and share Taputini? Yeah, this year when we harvest them, we're probably going to give a lot of them to Fano and Manatuki, who are living on their papakainga, and probably will have both a lot more room and a lot more talent for growing them than we do. And I like the idea of that as well, because, you know, this is a species that became quite redundant. So to know that other Fano, other Māori around the country, people are enjoying them, growing them, it re-establishes that tradition and that custom in Aotearoa. Darren, you mentioned taputini were almost redundant. How did you come to have some? With taputini becoming less popular when these new species were introduced, inevitably they were planted less by Māori and as other species grew better. So they almost became redundant. I guess very luckily there were examples, there were specimens that were put into overseas seed banks. And so under a Y262 claim, Taputini and other traditional kumara came back to Aotearoa. So Y262, that's commonly known as the flora and fauna claim. Um, And so that's Y spelt W-A-I with the numbers 262. And what that attempted to do was to address the ownership and use of indigenous species of flora and fauna, which are a taonga to Māori. And so under the Waitangi Tribunal, that was how we reclaimed taputini. What I think it is important to say is that there is a whole group of academics, kaumatua, people with this traditional knowledge of these species who worked extremely hard to ensure their preservation and their reclamation back into our whenua. What will you do for Matariki this year? Uh, For Matariki this year, I've got to say the middle of winter has always been my favourite time of year. I'm grateful this year that we have a holiday for it. And, you know, I certainly would like to spend time 
with my mum and dad, hopefully to help harvest the taputini that we grew last year. Like a lot of New Zealanders, I'm thinking about, you know, what does Matariki mean to me? And it is a time to be with family. It's a time to think about the previous year, to hunker down, to be cosy. Maybe it's a time to eat up as well. Kia ora ehoa. Thank you, Darren. Nā mihi nui. Next up is my colleague from Taitokero, the far north. Kia ora ehoa. Kia ora. My name is Molly Harris. I'm a visitor host down here at the Kirikiri Mission Station. I also look after the collections that are in the Kemp House Whare. Would you share what Matariki means to you? Matariki to me was a concept that I actually never knew or understood the actual word Matariki when I was younger. And what I mean by that is growing up with our father, our whole life was based around Matariki in a sense um, of the maramataka, which was to be followed through gathering food, planting food, but also through the spiritual or the wairua side of things as well. Did I know that it was actually called Matariki? No, I didn't. Um, but always knew that there was a let going of the past and a rebirth into the next season or the next year. What it means to me now, though, is growing up with Dad, we used to look at the stars all the time. We used to look at the moon and the different phases it went through. And at one point, I remember him telling me, come on, come and have a look at the Māori moon. Did I know Māori had a moon? At the time, no, I did not. I knew that the moon's name was Marama, and there was a lady called Rona living on it, but I didn't actually know we had a Māori moon. And that was the bigger of the moons. From that point, growing up, he then taught me how to grow high, and that was literally so that we could keep everybody replenished. At one point, because to me, we always seem to be growing Māori kai, and I said to him, why do we always grow the same food? And he said, it's not about growing the same food, it's about learning how to grow food. And so the next season, we actually grew peanuts, which I'd never seen grow before. They actually did really well. But what that taught me is that Matariki isn't confined to just a Māori thing. He physically showed me that it's not about what you're growing, it's about how you're growing it and how the fruit is going to come out, which means that you can either have a lot of food to feed your people around you, or if you're not listening and taking in what's going on around you with nature, you'll have nothing to share. When I had my daughter, she grew up with the same teachings, except my dad used to ring her by phone and always tell her to go outside and look at the moon and look at where the stars were sitting in the sky and he'd actually give her more detailed names of all that astrological stuff. And it's taken her into the world beyond Matariki itself, but now she's quite fluid in her knowledge of the astrological side of things, the spiritual side of things, but also how it affects everywhere around the world. So where the Matariki stars are sitting at the time in place throughout the world, you see them differently. So that to me is what Matariki is about. The time of Matariki is important to you? Definitely. It invokes a lot of your spiritual energy, I think, by the time Matariki comes around. A lot of us are actually really tired, we've been drained. The summer has taken its toll because of your at your height of being very productive. And by the time Matariki rolls around, it's actually a time to reflect, time to rest, and time to get ready for a re-energizing of yourself and what's around you as well. Mm. It's like autumn. 
the trees shed their leaves and that's a time for you to shed what may have been hindering you, what you might have been getting annoyed at during the year um, so that you kind of have a clean slate to have a bit of a good rest and then ready for summer again mm. for regrowth. We are celebrating Matariki as a nation for the first time. What are your thoughts on this? I think at this point in my life, it's probably more a time for me to actually be quite thankful on how our dad brought us up. I'm at the age in my 40s now, and when you're young and you're getting taught all this stuff, you can be accustomed to kind of not appreciating it. My thoughts for Matariki is it's not just a Māori thing. People have celebrated this constellation over the years throughout the world in different ways in different forms it's given different names throughout the world but I think at this time in our lives it's really time to reflect how you want to emerge out of the slumber that is winter ready for the summer and so that for me is Matariki. Three of our colleagues speaking today coincidentally have the same last name of Harris. You are Kelly Ray Harris. My name is Kelly Ray Harris. I am a team leader here for the Stone Store. My role is taking care of my team and obviously looking after the retail aspect of Stone Store as well as hosting and guiding here at beautiful Kitty Kitty Mission Station. I've been here for three years now and have come from Wellington, so mm. an urban Māori, yeah. coming back to find her roots after a few years away. I'm very happy to be doing this, living the most beautiful life, I would say. Can you share with us your experience of Matariki? So Matariki is um, actually a very new concept to me because I lived in Wellington for nearly 50 years, to be exact, before coming back to the far north where my father is from and finding a, a whole new holistic way of living, which I'm very blessed about. Matariki, I guess I was lucky for the sake that I was born in July, so I was a Matariki baby. Mm. So therefore, whenever it was my birthday, which is in July, I was always allowed to choose what my dinner was going to be, my kai. And that was always a roast, which my mother would make followed by chocolate steamed pudding. So I guess Matariki to me means being with your family, lots of yummy food that you love to eat, and also remembering your family and friends. The remembrance aspect of it that I can recall, it was more your tipuna that you were thinking about at that time of the year. And also, once again, it was the resurgence of, of new, new seasons, of new hope, of growth, but not celebrated in the respect of gardening or actually getting out and doing mahi toil with the whenua. It was not celebrated in that aspect in my home in Wellington because in the middle of July, it was winter, people were coming home trying to keep warm after work or after school. So yes, a different concept. How has your experience changed through time? It has changed in the respect that up here in Northland now, Mother Nature is an aspect I have come to learn to respect and understand a lot more than being in the city. And I think being in Northland actually gives you that feeling of belonging to the whenua, whereas in the city it's 
concrete. It doesn't have the same heart or the wairua, I do believe, is actually here in Northland. And also, too, respecting people that have gone, that whole taha Māori, the, the Māori world. There has been a deeper connection since moving home? It's making that connection again. It's never too late to make that connection, and I see myself as one of the lucky ones that's been able to have that opportunity to do that. When I look at a lot of my friends that were in Wellington that were Māori, some still find it very hard to make that connection. Matariki is being able to immerse myself more in a culture that I had been away from for a very, very long time. I think I'd like to just add finding people like Millie that have given me the opportunity to have a better understanding of Māori tanga and I just look forward to learning more and being open to all these new concepts that are now coming to me. I feel very blessed. Up next is Nigel Harris, who is Poarahi Southern, based in Christchurch. He's in many interesting roles, including for Matapopuri, writing Ngaitahu cultural narratives for the Christchurch rebuild. He also worked as an interpretation ranger for DOC. I spoke to him in March about a Matariki feast he was preparing at Te Whare Waiutu Kate Shepherd House. How did you first get involved in cooking? When I was really, really young, my late father was a gun shearer and my two other siblings were a bit older than me, so I was always left at home with my tawa, which is my Māori grandma. Sitting around the coal range, all of the aunties coming over in the evenings, playing euchre and gossiping about whakapapa and telling stories about the uncles and just all of that corridor, but actually helping through the years and, and growing up around with Tara and Auntie Raylan and cooking. So that's what got me really involved and then going out and collecting the kai when I was a bit older and getting an interest in all of that mahinga kai tikanga side of it. What was it like for her to cook on a coal range? Oh jeepers, well one of our biggest jobs in the morning and after school was to chop all the kindling. So she'd be up at 5.36 in the morning stoking the coal range up and getting the place warm and it would be almost an all day thing for her, particularly in a later age. Yeah, she relied on that coal range I think a lot too for comfort when she was old because it was really nice and warm. Tell me more about the practice in tikanga around collecting kai. Oh, that was a bit of a journey because we didn't have iPads or technologies when we were kids. Our toys were slug guns, eel spears, fishing rods and pocket knives and horses. And so most of our holidays and all of our spare time was spent down the river collecting kai and learning off the uncles. But later on, you get a better understanding of the tikanga around the marae in particular the porphyry process and all of that process around a big hui and how everyone gets together and a lot of those values that we talk about a lot like manakitanga looking after your guests there's the whole bit of the kaitiakitanga it's about sustainability and looking after the environment which will loom when you're down on the river because if you rape and pillage it you don't get a kai next time and you know that whanaungatanga the family ties Kaiho Kai, the intimate exchange of food, and the processes around Mahinga Kai Tikanga, um, which is the process around the food. And it relates back to what they call Turanga Waka, um, which is your canoe landing site, which engenders your whakapapa rights, which gives you Turanga Wai Wai, which is a place where you can stand on the marae and have your say. You would have brought your knowledge of Mahinga Kai to your work as a chef? 
I was a professional chef for about 15 years. What you could do is you could mix the contemporary food up a little bit more and infuse a little bit of mahinga kai every now and then. Just things like the smoked eel and things like that and a lot of the kai that we've had became really quite sought after in the 80s and 90s and there was an explosion of the value of it like crayfish powers, smoked eel, white bait, oysters. Tell me about this matariki feast you have prepared. Yep, so this came about through a discussion when they were looking for stories for the Heritage magazine and it was suggested that more of a presence and more of a shout out about tikanga Māori or te ao Māori, the world views of Māori and how that relates to heritage. So it was decided that, yeah, they would put in a six-page article and, yeah, I guess I just got put up for the job. How have you sourced the kai for this Matariki feast? Oh, we've been all over the show. So obviously there's some contemporary supermarket stuff. Tuesday, Huia and one of my cousins, Makarini, Rupini, we went out, we gathered cockles. Yesterday, we went up to Waipara and got power and mussels. I went to the food forest the other day and gathered a whole lot of herbs and talked with one of my cousins, Natalie, and she kohaed a kilo of whitebait for the whitebait patties. I went and saw one of my cousins, Grenville, this morning. He gave me four eel fillet, which they'd caught the other night and dried out, which we're going to cook up. A half a dozen freshy titi or mutton birds. And so I've been steadily collecting kai over the last week. What's on the menu? Okay, so the main star is going to be toa, or my grandma's plum pudding. And we're going to do a colonial goose with a bit of a twist. We're going to do seafood kebabs, power patties, white bait patties. I've just done a raw fish salad, which I always do on the marae when we have a big hui. Yeah, and quite a few other bits and pieces. What's a colonial goose? Oh, so that's something they used to do back in the day, and I remember that my auntie's doing it. So it's basically just wiener schnitzel with a stuffing done in a gravy and baked in the oven, but it's really yummy. So I reckon it's a really old heritage, not necessarily just European, but our people adopted and adapted a lot of stuff. The gathering and sharing of kai, like during Matariki, is a whānau tradition. Oh, it's everything because it's the whole process around it. It's not just the sitting down eating, it's the gathering, the storytelling, uh-huh. the memories, making those really intimate exchanges and connects over the years. So yeah, it's much more. Tell me about the connections between this feast and Matariki. Well, I guess the connection with Matariki being almost our new year, which signals the beginning of a lot of activities for us, particularly around Matakai and how that all plays in throughout the year and so for example that would signal the change of seasons getting your gardens ready starting to propagate things then you would have other seasonal delicacies which you'd go get for example september through to october november people would be getting white bait then you're looking at flounder season, then you're looking at power crayfish season, hickey, the eel runs on at the moment, so people are preparing that. And then next month everyone goes down to the mutton bird island, and then it's oyster season at the moment. And so generally all, all of that kai would be gathered together and stored up over winter and exchanged kai ho kai. Kia ora mō tēnā, Nigel. Thank you for sharing your rich whānau traditions around kai harvest, distribution and preparation around the time of Matariki. Lastly, I caught up with Martine Simon to talk about his experience with the reintroduction of Hotapu Matariki ceremony at Tauroa Marae in Rotuiti. 
Martine is a Po Whaihanga or program coordinator for the Matauranga Māori Built Heritage Team. He works closely with recipients of our recent contestable grants program. Matariki was part of his life from his time at the Kurukopapa Māori School in Rotuiti, where he grew up. I am grateful that he made time to share his experience of the Hotapu Matariki ceremony, including Umu Kohu Kohu Fetu, which is the feeding of the stars. Kia ora Martine. can you share your experience with the revival of Matariki ceremony at Taurua Marae in Rotuiti? Kia ora. Firstly, uh, thank you for taking the time to um, discuss the kaupapa of Matariki and the revitalisation amongst our people here in Wangati Pukiorangi. Uh, my name is Martine Simon Haimuna. I'm a descendant of Ngāti Pikiao from Ngāti Hinekura, one of the sub-tribes from the area. Yeah, Matariki within our people it hasn't really been active to the extent of how we celebrated it um, this recent year in 2021. The reintroduction of the celebrations of Matariki by way of um, Umu Fetu and, and Hautapu with the guidance of Rangi Matamua and his push. Rangi Matamua is uh, one of the key tohunga, tohunga kokorangi actually, who had access to these resources that was left by his koroua. Can you explain a little bit about the term tohunga kokorangi? Uh, so the term tohunga kokorangi, he is the one that carries out the rituals of astrology. The word tohunga doesn't really have an equal term in my opinion, that can match it in an English word. A tohunga in his own right is the one who carries the rituals and a real intrinsic understanding to the incantations that he delivers to the stars or to that realm. So touches perhaps on expertise? I don't even think that the word expertise can reach that level of understanding of tohunga, because he, he tohunga no te tohunga. And I believe that he is more expert than an expert. He is the paramount, I suppose, of expertise. Paramount expert sounds as close as we're going to get. <laughs> can you tell us more yeah. about tohunga kokorangi rangi mātamua and the others involved in the Matariki Hautapu ceremony? Rangi mātamua also has heritage and he descends from our area, so he was able to provide and guide us through some of the process of how we celebrate Umukohukohufetu and how we celebrate Matariki through a hautapu. I want to acknowledge also my cousin, Jade Kamita, who's been the lead of the revitalization of Maramataka, not just within Pikiao, but through Te Arawa. He plays a key role of the revitalization of Maramataka through our area, from Maketu all the way down to Tongariro. He desired that we as Ngāti Pikiao celebrate Matariki through Humukohukohu and Hautapu celebration. He was also assisted with the guidance of Tūkiterangi Curtis, who was a Tohunga Ruanuku from our area of Ngāti Pikiaorangi and of Ngāti Rungamai. The people that surround the lake shores of Te Rotoiti, we all descend from what we know as Te Tokotorua Manawa Kotokoto. So all the neighbouring iwis within around Otoiti descend from these tupuna known to us as Te Tokotorua Manawa Kotokoto. So everyone that was present at that hautapu, that Matariki celebration, were from Ngāti Rongomai, Ngāti Pikiaurangi, and there were some that were there who represented Ngāti Tarawhai. Just wonder if you could touch again on the word hautapu. Yeah, you would have heard 
me speaking of two terminologies, one is te umukohukohu and the other one is hautapu. My understanding and kōrero that has been shared by Dr. Ranimatamu and our people, basically it's there is a place and there is a time where we can set food out, or prepare that food for our atua to feast on. And the way that they feast on the food is by way of the steam and fumes that the food gives once it's been cooked. That fume and that smoke and that steam, it rises up to the atua as a offering back to them. So that's the main concept of hautapu. There is one hautapu, but there is two processes to that. So one is an offering back to the atua, as an offering back to matariki, and the other one is the physical taking a portion of that kai as well from the umukuhukuhu. And there are four distinctive foods that we share and representations of the stars of Matariki. So Tupuanuku, Tupuarangi, Waiti and Waita, these stars here are also representations of the kai within our environment. So Tupuanuku cultivated kai such as kumara or food that has been harvested from the land. Tupuarangi, food sources that are from the sky, such as birds. We also have waiti, which is food sources from local waters, from Māori water, water that has been sprung from mountains, such as trout, tuna, even freshwater crayfish, kakahi, yeah, koura, and waita is food sources from the sea. So we have tamude, or snapper. And now umukohukohu. So yeah, those are the food sources that are used to create that type of hapi or umu. I heard that that umu is less of a feasting experience than just a little taste. And then the remains go back to the ground, something like that? Yes, yes. I know of some cases where the kai or the food is just left on a shrine. So the food is given to the atua on a shrine and the food is left there. Can you take us over your memories of the morning of the Hotapu Matariki ceremony last year? So it was such a huge and emotional time for our people. The emotions were very evident that morning. It was emotional because there was so much... There's a ritual within the celebration eh, where we send our mate. Katukunanga mate ki We return all of the recent deceased back to Pohutukawa, uh, one of the shining stars within the cluster of Matariki, who's the guardian of Ngamate of the past year. But because this was the first time that our people celebrated Matariki, there were so much names that were being remembered through that part. Uh, so many past chiefs from Ngāti Pikiao that dated back, like 10 years back, or 20 years back rather, all of our queer and all of our koraua were naming all these koraua's from the past. And that was because that this was the first real hautapu matariki celebration that our people had celebrated for over 50 odd years. We used to, um, at my school in particular, Ruamata, we used to have a, a small celebration, wake up at 6 o'clock, uh, we would go up to a place called Pukeputo, just at the base of Ngongotaha Mountain. That's where my school used to do a sighting on Matariki. We would sing, we would have a hangi as kids growing up in Ruamata. But at that time when I was at school, we didn't have knowledge of the... Maramataka and its influence on being able to cite Matariki the clearest. Uh, Matariki at that time there was only seven stars and we knew Matariki as seven sisters. 
Say tohunga, Dr. Agimatamua shared with us that the best time to view Matariki is through the Tangaroa phases of the moon. And now the narrative has changed over these recent years. Actually, it hasn't changed. What we've been able to do is normalize the real Māori view of Matariki. It's really important for our people of Ngāti Piki Aurangi and Ngāti Rongomai to be supportive of the narrative that is coming through because the references of the tohunga that speaks about the nine stars of Matariki and also speaks of the male frequencies within the stars, those come from El Tupuna, Himiona Tipiki Kotuku, who also has direct lineage from Ngāti Piki the Tupuna or Piki the Tupuna. So that's what we're guided by now. So, yeah, it was a really powerful, really emotional morning. The wailing of our queer were so heart-wrenching. And as uh, deliverers of karakia through the hotapu, it's important that we stay composed, uh, stay composed through the delivery of karakia. There are also some kawa. Some people will suggest that kawa is something that's been handed down from our atua Māori, so it can't be changed. But kawa is also a synonym for the word karakia, and karakia incantations, eh? Basically, in this horopaki, or in this context, karakia means to perform karakia, or perform specific karakia for the purpose. Okay? So that's what kawa means. It's performing specific kawa for the purpose of the ceremony. There's tikanga within the kawa that we have to stay strong to. One of those tikanga is, as tohunga, you can't, shed tears, eh? you can't cry, you can't let the emotion distract you from your role and your job, and the job of the tohunga is to ensure that the delivery of the karakia is heard by our atua, and through the delivery of specific karakia to the specific star of Matariki is also important that they hear us so we can't let the emotions get in the way of that delivery. Could you also just... You spoke about being there that night. What was your role? Actually, I was an assisting tohunga of that morning to carry out some parts of the rituals and procedures to Matariki. And I want to express my gratitude to our family that took part in carrying some of those rituals in the formal ceremony of Matariki, such as um, Tukitarangi, who led the way for us as up-and-coming tohunga to understand he didn't teach karakia, but he assisted us in the process of how to deliver Matariki, and we done our best to deliver that as close as possible to his understanding of hotapu. Because even though that this was the first time that we celebrated the hotapu uh, for Ngāti Pikiao, for Ngāti Rongomai and Ngāti Tarawhai, our expert, our tohunga, our ruanuku tūkiterangi had been involved with hotapu and umukohukohu with the group of tohunga known as Te Matapuninga. And he never formally sat us down to teach us this is what we must do. He basically guided us with his expertise and he said, this is possibly how we could think about doing things. So he was there as a helping hand for Jade, our tohunga kokorangi, Jade Kamita, um, to ensure that when we do our job to celebrate the formal ceremony of Matariki, that we do it well and we do it within the understanding and the capability that we had within this group of tohunga from Pikiao. So that group of tohunga is made up of 
tohunga throughout our lake, Rotoiti, so we have the likes of Tukiterangi, Curtis, Tewata, Taranui, Rehua, Mihaka, and myself, and also Jade Kamita was our wahaki that morning. So my role in that collective was to do Karakia Whakatō Māori, back into the formal ceremony. Whakatō Māori is basically to bring the life essence back into the people and into the ceremony that was being conducted. There's so many rituals that are in place to do this formal ceremony, which I don't think I can speak of that through the podcast that's better kept to tohunga. Those are strict orders by those tohunga who have worked so hard to revitalize it. But we're just fortunate enough that we've got people that can guide us in this space and give us a better understanding on how we should celebrate and how our tupuna used to celebrate the formal ceremony of, of Matariki. And I believe, just judging from that morning that we had up in Tauruau, I believe that we've done a good job because the sighting of Matariki was perfect. I believe that you couldn't get a better sighting of Matariki than the sighting that Piki Aurangi witnessed that morning in 2021. As we looked east towards Matariki, we done the ceremony. Tangaruaroto was the Maramataka, that phase of the moon was Tangaruaroto. As we were looking towards the east, we have two mountains. We had Matafaura to the left and we had Te Tautara on the right. They acted as if they were the sacred mountains of a place that we know as Tumufakaidia, which there are two mountains there, Tupuotarangi, Tafitotarangi. Anyway, we had our two mountains, and at the bottom was a shining of the sunlight. And at the top, going from the left-hand side, we had Matariki, directly above my mountain, Matafaura. And where Matariki was sighted, it fell directly in line to a sacred place on our mountain, known as Tipakipaki. And then not too far away from Te Pakipaki, we also have a place called Huiterangiura that's on our mountain. So we had Matariki going towards the right-hand side, Te Kokota, which is another constellation of stars within that Te Wakaarangi. Matariki is Pleiades. And then coming towards the middle of the waka, we had Tautoru, which is Orion's belt. At the top of Tautoru is Puanga, which is a Raigo star. And at the bottom of Tautoru, to the knowledge of Ngāti Piki Aurangi, we know the Beetlejuice star at the bottom of Tautoru as Te Kaiaia, but there is another name for it, I think it's Te Putara. And then coming towards the right-hand side, the star that was directly above Te Tautara is Takurua, which is Sirius. And then outside of Sirius is another constellation. It literally set horizontal to both mountains, and then shining through the bottom was a tinge of summer's light and a cold winter's morning that created purple into black color below Matariki. Oh, it was so, it was so beautiful. And, and through the karakia, acknowledging the sunlight, you know, to come through. Tamanui te eara, eara. Takiri te ata, kori hinga manu, kao, 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 te, all of those terminologies that were coming out. The environment was talking back to the rituals and the procedures and the karakia. Hey, kori hinga manu, then you hear the birds Trickling away. Then the sunlight comes through, and I was like, holy, it was such a beautiful morning. Yeah. Just through me explaining how there was, because it's still quite vivid, you can feel the emotions that we felt that morning. Mm. How did it actually come about that the ceremony of Matariki was brought back? 
territory. It was something that was premeditated, pre-planned by our Tohunga Kokorangi, by Jade Kameta. There had been several other Umu Kohu Kohu Fetu and Hautapus that were being celebrated around Te Takere Nui o Te Waka o Te Arawa. So I believe at the time of Whanau Water in Te Arawa, they were conducting some Hautapu celebrations. And because Jade is a descendant of Ngāti Pikiao, he felt that there was a great need and a good purpose that we as Ngāti Pikiao done our own um, umu kohu kohu whetu and hautapu celebration to bring our lake together. Because Pikiao Rangi has a, there's a bit of a dynamic there that Te Rotoiti is a little bit away from Rotorua and we understand our place within Te Arawa a little bit differently. Um, we have a unique lens on a lot of the things that are carried out throughout Orohe, and I think that reflects a lot on how we carry ourselves as a people. But that was a main draw card for Jade to bring this celebration back to our people of Ngāti Pikiaurangi. And what was beautiful about it, it was led by direct descendants and kanohi kitea, people that are seen faces um, within our tribe and amongst our people and on our marae, those ones that were leading it, are actually there at the marae, doing the mahi. Yeah, that added great value to what we achieved as a people. Martini, would you like to end with an acknowledgement? I'd like to acknowledge a few people. Maori. Before we close off, nā reira hei te tohunga kōkōrangi e rangi mātāmua, me nā rānei kai te whakarungu mai koe ki tēnei podcast. Mokori anō ki a mihi a koe e au, o te rā e te motu, i tō whakapau werawera kia whakamana ōkawatia tēnei te whakanui a matariki hei tēnei tau nei. Kua mana tā tātou whakanui a matariki a haereake nei nā reira. E mihi ana ki a koe kaitaku rangatira. E mihi ana ki a koe kaitaku huanga e Jade Kāmeta i te mea nāue nei taonga i whakahoki mai ki o tāuarahi ki te tokotoru a mana wāko tokoto hei taonga whakanui mā tātou. A haere ake nei, nā reira kaitaku tohunga kōkorangi, kaitaku kiritahi, kaitaku huanga e Jade, paura kāmeta e mihi ana ki a koe. Me mihi hoki au ki taku ruānuku, ki tō mātau ruānuku, ki au tūkitarangi, ko ia te tohunga i arataki, i a mātau ki te whakanui tika, i a matariki, ki roto i tō mātau iwi o Ngāti Pikiao, o Ngāti Rongomai, O Ngāti Tarawhai, o Tira, ngā iwi a te tokotoru a mana wāko tokoto. I te korenga ou i whaiwahi mai ki te arataki tika i a mātau te hunga pīkoko. Ko kore pea e eke, pēnā rawa te ātāhua i rongo wai tātou i taua atara. Nā reira kai te ruānuku, tēnā koe, kai taku huanga e jai tēnā koe, o tira kai te tohunga kōkōrangi o te motuerangi mātāmua, tēnā rā koe, tēnā rā tātou katoa. Kia pai mai tēne, kia ora. I hope you enjoyed this Heritage New Zealand Pauhere Taonga Matariki podcast as much as I did. This podcast was only possible thanks to the generous gift of time from our colleagues, Yamahi Nuikia Theron Bloomfield, Millie Harris, Kelly Ray Harris, Nigel Harris and Martine Simon. Other contributors were John O'Hare and Rosemary Beard, who edited the podcast. Music for the podcast is the Waiata Matariki by Hinewehi Mohi. 
Our thanks to Ngātaonga Sound and Vision and to Visionary Film and Television for giving access and permission. If you enjoyed it, please do check out our other offerings, including our Aotearoa Unearthed series.